Welcome to the Permission to Be You podcast. A podcast which intends to nudge, push, and inspire you to give yourself the permission to be you. I'm Diane Schwerep, and I'm your host. Today's guest is a wonderful storyteller. She turns drama into something comical. She had me in fits. We really, at least I did, I really enjoyed speaking to her. She talks about her adventures, about being a mother, how she coped, what she did to herself, and ultimately she discovered, well, I'm not telling you what she discovered, Sit back <laughs> or not. Listen, listen to it whilst you're in the car. Listen to it whilst you're washing the plates. Just listen. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. Oh, yes. I forgot to mention today's guest is Farah Halabi. Welcome. <clears throat> That's my voice. <laughs> Welcome, Farah. Is that how I say your name, Farah? It is. Yes, thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Diane. Yes, that is exactly how you say my name. Some people say Farah, some people say Farah, but Farah is actually fine. Thank you. And your surname is? Halaby. And it, it's my husband's surname. So he is Palestinian, half English, half Palestinian. And I am Mauritian from the island of well, My parents are from the island of Mauritius. Okay. So you've been knowing about my podcast for a while now, and you were, well, you weren't one of the women who, you did put your hand up, but you put your hand up in a very roundabout way. (laughs) Yes, it was kind of like trying to throw my hat into the ring, but kind of thinking, okay, I don't know actually, to be fair, what thinking I had. Maybe it was timing, maybe because I knew that I was really, really busy, or it was I dipped in and out of, of, of the group and I'd seen some messages, but with regards to, there's a lot going on at the moment. So it was, I really want to do it, but I really want to have the time to do it. But what if I don't have the time to do it? But if I don't say I want to do it, then I won't have the time to do it. So, oh, so you know, it was okay. all of this dilly so and dallying. So now we know the details of that, yes. <laughs> the background. Why did you eventually put your hand up and want to be on this no, wait, 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 wait. Let me move a, bit, a step back. I don't know you very well. This is our first virtual conversation. It is indeed. So as usual, I do not like introductions. For the benefit of the listeners, could you tell us a bit about you very briefly, Farah, about you and what you're passionate about so that the people get to know you just a little bit? Okay. Oh, crikey. Uh, what am I passionate about? My, at the moment, I would say that what I'm most passionate about is bringing the mental health awareness of our youth to the forefront. So I'm passionate about a lot of things, I guess, but at the moment with regards to what I do, so I'm a parent coach, I'm a parent and child coach, sorry, at the moment. I also deliver wellbeing programs in schools for, for children from the ages of six to 22. I teach in an Arabic school on a Saturday I teach young four to five year olds 
I am a presenter on an Islamic television station on a show called Women's AM. So, and also I am a, um, I'm co-chair of an initiative that brings together Muslim and Jewish women to stand for each other against anti-Semitism and Islamophobia. So I guess my passion is, I, I guess the all-encompassing word that you could say for my passion is that I'm interested in cohesion and understanding between faiths, between genders, between adults and children, but really cohesion, I guess. I'm passionate about cohesion and understanding. And the way that that plays out at the moment is that the delivery of those wellbeing programs in schools, it's all in the hopes and in the real, real, real prayers that if we can empower our youth to understand their wellbeing, to be mentally healthy, then I pray that we will have the next generation of adults who have less mental health issues, less confidence issues, less resilience issues, and go on to lead healthier and amazing lives with the wealth of opportunity available to them instead of thinking oh I can't do that or I'm too dumb to do that or whatever it is that they're telling themselves so I know that wasn't in a nutshell I'm so sorry that was kind of rambling but at the moment my passion is cohesion and understanding for a better a better life I'd say and ultimately a better world I love this Absolutely. thank you thank you for this this really well explained mission you have so this brings me to my next question. You did ultimately put your hand up. And I am always curious as to why people do put their hands up and say, yes, I'd like to join you. I'd like to be part of this conversation. Could you tell us why? Why, why did you say, yes, I, I want to sit with you and I'm excited about it? Uh, for very pure, selfish reasons, I love a chat. <laughs> I love to talk. <laughs> So, you know, it's, it's lovely that I get to sit here, I've got my cup of tea, and I get to chat. And also, I've seen, like, I've, I've known about you for a while, and so, it, and you just strike me as a really eccentric in a lovely way. I don't mean that as, a, as an insult, eccentric <laughs> and dynamic and interesting person, so... Why wouldn't I want to have a chat with someone so diverse and dynamic and interesting? So, yeah, purely for selfish reasons, it's a lovely way of being able to sit down for half an hour with a cup of tea and having a lovely chat and seeing what comes out of that. That's so, yeah. excellent. I, lo I love, I love your, your spontaneity and your, your candidness. And it has, this podcast has given room to many beautiful heartfelt conversations so what do the words oh, rewind again so far in every single conversation i've had the words permission to be you were given a complete dif completely different perspective each of the women because i have not had men until now and i will be having them on my show every story i've had gave a different perspective What's your take on permission to be you? I, what I, I heard something before, cohesion. You, you have a meeting, or a meeting or a gathering of, of Muslims and Jewish people coming together. And just before we started this conversation, I was talking about the, the, the predicament of Malta and how we actually are marching together side by side, regardless of our political views, 
and fighting for justice. There's a long-winded winded question to, to what does it mean to you? Well, when I hear the words permission to be you, I guess it reminds me of, I don't want to say the beginning of my journey, but it was definitely a big, a big stop or a big signpost of my journey. So I, um, I used to be cabin crew. I was air cabin crew for a British carrier. I suppose I can say it because it's only going to be us that's listening to it. So for British Airways. So I used to be cabin crew for British Airways. I was cabin crew for just over 11 and a half years. I got to go to some beautiful places and visit places that I would never have dreamed of going to ordinarily. My husband's also cabin crew and we have four children. And towards the end of my flying career, I, I had this immense mum guilt. I had this immense guilt that I was leaving my children, even though I only worked part time, but that I was leaving my kids and I, I wanted to be around to see them grow up. I, you know, I was told I couldn't have children at a very young age. So to go on and have four children naturally was my miracle. So that was my big thing. And I thought, okay, I've been given these kids. So really I need to, I need to be looking after these miracles or being there. So voluntary redundancy came up during the time that I was pregnant with my last child, my, my daughter. And I thought, okay, if I'm just in the same time zone as my kids, then that's it. I won't feel this mum guilt. I'll be a bang on mum. I'll be, you know, this super mum, perfect mum, whatever it is I thought I was going to be. And it was horrible. I hated it. I was, I, it was just so not what I thought it was going to be. And this version of myself that I thought I was, I thought I was going to be this earth mother, this Mary Poppins character that was this fun mum, cool mum, good mum for her kids. And I turned into a Hulk mum. I was just horrible. I was angry all the time because I had set these expectations of what a perfect mum was. And every day, all I could see or all I could feel was me failing to meet those expectations that I had made up myself. So <laughs> it was this cycle of, it's like I'd written this CV of what mumming looked like, mm. that the perfect mum looked like. And every day I just compared what the reality I felt at the time, how that was not anywhere near what I should be doing or what perfect mumming looked like. So at the, at the depths of, of that whole, I think it went on for about a year. I hid it quite well, I thought. On the outside, I would take my kids to school. I do lots of activities with them. No one knew what was going on. But in my mind, I was just in turmoil, mm. I guess. And at my lowest time, I guess, I, I remember my husband was away. And I remember thinking, I can't do this anymore. I'm failing my children every single day. I'm actually more detrimental to them than helpful to them. So I decided that I would give them away. I thought they're better off without me. And I had your children, you mean my children, my children, my four kids. So I decided that they were better off without me. I couldn't do it. I was failing them. They deserved better. They're better off somewhere else. Then I thought, okay, well, who do I give them to? And I thought, well, I'm not going to put them in an orphanage. We don't have them now. We've got social services. But I thought, oh, no, I can't do that. And then I thought, well, okay, I've got three siblings. I've got a brother and two sisters. I'll give them to them because they can look after them. And, you know, they'll be much better at it than me. And I made a list. And I went through the attributes. And 
I was divvying up my children like I was divvying up my most prized possessions. It was like I was dividing sweets between people. And <laughs> and it this all lasted for about 10 minutes. I wrote it down. I was very organized, had a list of pros and cons, which child would go to which sibling. And then I thought, well, I'll give two children to my youngest sister because she doesn't have kids. So she can take two. And I'll give my youngest daughter to my brother because he's got a little boy that's roughly her age and they'll be fine. And then the other one can go to my sister. And it, it all made sense to me. I was like, why not? And then it hit me. It just, I thought, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing, you stupid woman? So, yeah. And, and that was my response. Literally, after I'd written it, I was like, I laughed my ass off. But not in a kind of funny way. It was just like, oh my God. It was almost like a Michael laugh. <laughs> After I had that kind of word with myself, if you like, um, I thought, I need, help. I, I, need, I need to talk to someone. I need help, whatever it is. And I am, I am a practicing Muslim and I do believe in, in God. And I believe wholeheartedly that God sent what I needed at that time. I just didn't know that that's what I needed. I thought that if I, I know, prayed harder or, or was more grateful that, that I'd be okay. But what happened was I was sent a coach and I didn't, I didn't believe in coaching. I thought life coaches were really poncy. You know, they were for rich people that had way too much money that <laughs> couldn't live their lives properly and needed someone to come in and tell them how to live their lives. That's my interpretation of life coaching. So we see how far so this I, now. Let me just ask you a question sorry so because oh. to make sure that i'm understanding you correctly my god this is really hilarious i mean it's it, it's not hilarious but at the same time it is hilarious <laughs> yes it is so absolutely the the help that you sought turned out to be a coach is that what you just said yes okay and what ensued was your idea of a coach uh, carry on so I was sent someone who is actually my oldest friend. I've known her since I'm three months, two months older than her. And I've known her since she was born. So she's my oldest friend. I've known her for over 40 years. And she had become a coach and she had studied the inside out paradigm through principles. And she was now a coach. I didn't know any of that. I didn't know anything about that. Anyway, she came over for a cup of tea and we were talking and she and just what she was saying, she, I hadn't asked her for help at this point. I didn't know, even know that she was a coach. She started talking and what she was saying just made sense to me. It, something that she said just made absolute, it resonated and landed so deeply with me that I had to give myself a break, that I had to be merciful to myself. I was holding myself to the highest account, higher than even what God wants from me. I was expecting myself to be more hum a superhuman mm. not just human i was mm. i don't know what it was that i was expecting of myself but it wasn't real it wasn't it wasn't doable it was and i was flogging myself i mm -hmm. was literally you know yes. trying killing myself to be this supernatural being so and then, and then what I heard was you became very resentful towards your children. That's what yes, I, I heard did. before, yes. Yeah, I did. I, I didn't, I didn't yeah. like them. Mm. And I honestly thought that if they were better children or if I was a better mum, you know, if, if, if I had good kids, I, I'd be the best mum. Obviously, there's like all my kids. And then when that kind of fell flat on its face, I thought, well, they're just kids. Kids are kids. And I thought, well, it must be me then. Maybe I'm just the crappiest mum ever. Why was I 
kids because I'm so rubbish at this job. And also because I'd given up my job of being cabin crew, which I could do in my sleep. I loved my job. I thought mm. I was quite good at it. I enjoyed it. And I thought, well, now that I'm officially, I have the title, job title, mother, I should <laughs> be done that I'm doing. I should have been doing it yes. much better. I should have been, you know, killing it basically, but I wasn't. I wasn't. I was absolutely crap at it. So then ensued this. Were journey. you absolutely crap at it, or did you think you were absolutely crap at it? I thought I was crap at mm. it. I mean, my, my, to be fair, if if I was to going back now, my husband, he said I had no idea that you were mm. going through this. You just got on with things. You yeah. were. You seemed really, really together you you the house was always lovely the kids were always well turned out their homework was always turned in on time you seem to have a really good relationship with them I hadn't a clue and that caused not friction I think but I think he just felt really really guilty that he couldn't see and I was like but you you wouldn't have done I hid it really well but inside I just thought I was rubbish I thought I was absolutely awful but it was then when I spoke to my friend and we were talking about how we get to forming these ideas or mm -hmm. these opinions and where that all starts from mm -hmm. and unpicking it to its seed to what that thought initial that initial thought was if my baseline is crap mum yes. everything I do is going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy yes. of proving that idea right or that thought right if the baseline is not crap mum if the baseline isn't even mum if the baseline is just me in whatever form that is whether it's stripping me down of all the labels stripping me down of all my expectations of all my mm -hmm. thoughts inherently what we all are is whether you ascribe to a religious or spiritual thing i think that we are all inherently souls that's you know strip us down from our even take away our actual bodies what's left that spark that light whatever you want to call it i choose to call it a soul but that's what we are inherently mm -hmm. so my soul is not crap my soul is not rubbish my soul is not is any of the things that i thought mumming would be my soul is actually light my soul is love my soul is compassion my soul is resilient my soul is amazing but it's what i think of myself that yes. brings me down Yes, and for practical terms, because in this podcast, in these conversations, I've, I've chosen to, to talk more about the navigating life mm -hmm. on, a, on, the, on the practical terms. I mean, we, we're never separate from our souls and from what you've articulated just now, the light, the beauty, our essence, that can't be. Yeah. But here is a typical example, a very hilarious, but also probably painful experience that you went through. When you tried, when you put yourself, as you said, to high account, you had created this huge expectation of yourself, of how you should be. This is what the perfect mother should look like. Therefore, for me to reach that, I have to, I have to fulfill these requirements. And what you did to yourself in the meantime. Mm -hmm. So, and this is perfect. God knows how many, I can, I can think of, of one person. Uh, God knows how many mothers there are out there who think they should be one way and try to be that way. And as a result, 
make more of a mess of their lives than yeah than than help themselves so what was the turning point for you was the did the coach kind of wake you up and and showed you that you were trying to live up to your expectations what she did was she showed me how i produced or created those expectations in the first place instead of giving me the answer she gave me the tools for that inner reflection that self kind of knowing knowing how we create all of that stuff Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and when I realized that it was all of my own creation that I had made it all up Mm -hmm. it dropped and in place instead of anxiety and nerves and what ifs and what ifs what ifs that all dropped and instead was this blank canvas for Mm. possibility and just it almost it was the way that I describe it was that uncovering you know um, have you ever um, seen children playing a party game called pass the parcel yes I played it myself (laughs) right so you go around and you unwrap one one layer and then you get to the end and there's a prize and it was almost like I was unlayering or unwrapping layers and layers and layers. And what was at the very essence of that or the prize was this internal compass that I always had that was just fogged over by all of these wrappings of Mm. of crap or thought or whatever it was. And that that compass was, it it was always going to point me in the right direction. It may not be the direction that I thought I should take or knew I should take or even thought, are you sure about this? But it was always pointing me. And it's, it's like that true north. It was just always going to point me home. And if I was at home, and, if I, and that home being that just knowing, that comfortability, that knowing that I'm okay. That, so bringing it back to permission to be you, mm-hmm. I had tried so much to fit into something that I thought was what was supposed to be me. Mm. But when I, un- when I uncovered that internal compass, it was like that very permission, that very right, that very fact that I was me was there already. And that's, yeah, sorry, that's the best way that I can try to I love, 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 love this metaphor, this part of unwrapping the parcel. Love it. It's perfect. Thank you. I don't need to add any more. So I had another question, which I, I, I've forgotten. Probably it was unimportant. <laughs> I'm curious to know about your religious views with regards to covering your head. And there was a lot of hype recently, mm-hmm. even the European Union and, and in France, they created the law that said you're not allowed to wear the, the, the hijab, the, the hijab the in public and you would get fined. How is that for you in the sense that to me is clearly an example of giving yourself the permission to wear your hijab whether people want you to or not. So how, how is that for you? Well, I guess if you were to ask 10 different ladies that, that cover their hair, that wear hijabs, why they do it, you would get 10 different answers. Mm. It's not, I mean, there is the very, I suppose, the cliche or the stereotypical answer. I don't, I, to be fair, I, I, actually, I'm not even going to go there because I don't know. But 
for a fact what other people think but i'll tell you the reason why i wore it which is not i guess it's not maybe not what you would expect but i am um, i think i told you this before we started recording i was told that i couldn't have children when i was about 19 that i had an operation and there was all stuff that was going on and i was told that it would be very difficult if at all possible for me to have children so fast forward that was when i was 19 so fast forward two marriages later and about 12 or 13 years I fell pregnant naturally with my eldest son with my firstborn and that was in itself just my miracle I mean it was just I was so 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 grateful that I'd been given him after being told that I couldn't and I'd kind of resigned myself to the fact that we wouldn't have children I've got three stepchildren my husband's got three older children from his previous marriage and I was quite happy and we had a lovely life and I just thought you know what if it's not in if it's not written for me then fine so then to find out that I was pregnant and to give birth to a healthy bonny baby boy that was like okay all my all my prayers had been answered and it was around about he was just over a year a year old I went back to work after my maternity leave had ended and I just felt this kind of the best way I can describe it is an unease I don't know what it was I was uneasy about I don't know if it was going back to work and leaving him or or what it was but um I was in work one day and I was just flicking through our um our work manual and it had the uniform in there and in the uniform there was a uniform that had the headscarf and I looked at it and I thought oh that looks lovely that looks really nice and didn't think anything of it and then all that day, I just kept on feeling that unease kind of lighten a little bit almost. And I went home and I thought, I am so grateful for this child. I believe this child was given to me as a gift from God. Mm-hmm. I would like to show my gratitude. And then that's where I thought, I'm going to start wearing a headscarf. And that's how it came about. I, I started wearing the headscarf. No one in my family does. My mum does it. My sisters don't. I came home, had a chat with my husband and said, I'm thinking of wearing the headscarf. He's like, you do what you like, my lovely. It's up to you. I'll support you with whatever you want to do. And that's it. And I did. And it was Ramadan, the month of fasting for Muslims, around about that time. And I wore it during Ramadan and didn't take it off since wore it at work I, I had a lovely uniform with a headscarf and the long tunic and trousers and I just felt you mean with British Airways work huh? yes with British okay. Airways yeah yeah and it was lovely and so the reason why I wore the headscarf was for gratitude just to show my gratitude I wanted to show the God that I was thankful and I've kept it on I'm still grateful to God for that but I've kept it on for a lot of other reasons I guess there are some days that I put it on and it's a reminder for me that when people look at me, they see a Muslim woman. And then it kind of, this whole uh, bringing myself into account, I guess, because I'm a visual representation of a Muslim woman living in a town that is proportionately, is, is largely white conservative and not particularly mixed. And I feel that I have, an obligation or a duty or a a want actually to go out there and the permission that I give myself to be me is to be a positive role model if you like of someone wearing a headscarf so 
I go out, I say good morning to everyone. I say good morning to strangers. I just think it's nice to say hello. I'm very much involved in my children's schools. I, I find that my headscarf for me, even though it may say something to someone else about this simple piece of cloth on my head, for me, it's a reminder of, of me, of my faith, of, of kindness, of inclusiveness, of cohesion, of, of interfaith, I guess, role modelling. It's just, it's my, I don't want to say it's my security blanket, but it's my, I feel protected. And I don't know why. I just do. I just feel. I feel protected. So when I put this headscarf on, it's not to upset anyone. I don't wear this headscarf to go out and be in their faces. I wear this headscarf purely for me. No one's forcing me to. But it, yeah, it just means something to me with regards to how I am as a person to everyone else. What comes up for me is something was coming up for me. And it was this, this scarf is just you it's a symbol of your gratitude but to me it's really a shining example of right i want to wear my scarf i want to wear the scarf purely for my own reasons yeah. and that in and of itself is a statement it you don't intend it to be a statement but it's a statement to to you yeah. To, to who you are. Now, many things are dressed with that. I mean, for, <laughs> I, pardon the pun. But some, I got this feeling, of, it's just like me as a gay woman who, who chooses to wear this type of clothing. I'm a jeans and a t-shirt person or a jeans and a shirt person and a jumper in winter. Yep. And I choose to wear these clothes simply because I feel comfortable in them. And I do not have to give any explanation as to why I wear it yeah. and how I wear it and when I wear it. Mm -hmm. To me, I think they're kind of parallel in, in some strange way. But the thing is, with a hijab, there's a lot of, a lot of prejudgment from people who... Yeah who fear the hijab and who fear yep. what that means what that means yeah. yes yeah. so yeah and that's in essence it. it's 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 neutral it's a piece of cloth yes it's a piece of cloth on my yes. head neutral but what that brings up for people like you say it could bring up fear it could bring up and and this is across the board this is not just from non-muslims there are lots of muslims who see a hijabi or a person wearing the hijab that would make certain judgments. And there are certain people that don't wear the hijab based on not wanting to be judged that way yes. as well. Yeah. So there's reasons that people don't because of the same reasons that maybe I do, I guess. But essentially, it's very different. And I think that when we start talking about anyone or women in general, what they wear, whether it be a, a, a piece of cloth on their head or whether it be a mini skirt or whether jeans or a t-shirt yeah it does they are neutral yes. it's what it brings up for other people yes and like Precisely. i said I don't, you don't go out dress in your t-shirt and your jeans for any other reason except for that's what you want to wear and that's what you're comfortable in exactly i don't put a hijab on my head i mean i wear t i wear jeans and a shirt 
with my hijab some people would say that that's not right some people would some people would say that i should be wearing the full of what's called the abaya which is mm -hmm. the long dress mm -hmm. and sometimes i do sometimes they don't but when i'm on the school run i wear my jeans and i wear my my shirt and i wear my hijab and i throw on a jumper and i wear my big ugg boots and if i took my hijab off you would probably not think that i was dressed any differently to any of the other people on the school run or, or walking down the street but there's always levels of judgment, whether this is hijab enough, whether this is trendy <laughs> enough, whether that's gay enough, whether that's oh not gay enough. There's all these levels of, 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 of thought and of judgment. And it's quite interesting because the fact that someone sees me or sees you walking down the street wearing what we're wearing, and then they have this whole thought Idea. about what that means, how much headspace does that take up for them? They yes. could be concentrated on other things but that kind of breeds more thoughts and more thought babies and more judgment and more but it could also instead of breeding judgment it may very well breed understanding it could be oh she's got a hijab more power to her oh she looks lovely in those jeans she's rocking yeah. that t-shirt yeah and that's that's it so you just never know what other people are thinking indeed i want to ask you a last question i'm stuck between two Okay. I think your story about your children is very powerful and very important. In your life, would you say that in general, you are comfortable with giving yourself the permission to show up as you are? I'd say that that permission has been a quite recent thing, I guess, in my journey. Hmm. And that it maybe it played maybe it sparked up or it showed up in within before then but thinking about it now this permission to be myself thinking about it now through my teens and through maybe through my young adult life that permission to be myself may have been misconstrued by others as defiance or going against the trend hmm. maybe thinking about it now this permission to be myself like when I first started wearing the headscarf my dad went mental he was like what are you doing you're making yourself a target you're basically putting a big round circle on your head and asking people to to shoot you but it's not that bad dad honestly it's fine or when I decided to marry my to leave my first husband and leave him that permission to think we were married for seven years. He wasn't the nicest person, to be fair, but giving myself permission to be me. Am I worthy? Am I, do I deserve better, if you like? But to others that might have come across as defiance. Oh, she's leaving her husband. She's going against what is expected or whatever it is. And then deciding to marry my husband, who I'm married to now, we've been happily married for the last 15 years and we've got four beautiful children. But there was a lot of, oh, well, he's been married before. He's got three children. He's half Arab. You know what those Arabs are like. They're dodgy people. You don't want to get married to them. <laughs> and the defiance to say, well, no, I, I want to do this. And the permission to be me. So yeah. basically what you're saying is, what I'm understanding rather is that in your first marriage, when you decided to leave, it was not out of defiance. It was because you realized that that marriage wasn't working for you. 
you walked away and listened to the calling of your soul rather than stay in a marriage, get yourself unhappy, and perhaps inadvertently make other people around you unhappy, you really thought, okay, what do I want in my life? How does it, what does it look like? What would really make, what's the word I'm looking for? I think we tend to settle. Oh my God, that word, yes. To settle for relationships because we, on some level we think, okay, there's better than nothing at all. But you realized that there could be something that is far better suited to you and would, there would be more ha- harmony. And let's put it this way. Let's, let's be frank about this. A relationship that is really hard to be in is not worthy of our time. It's not meant to be complicated. We just think it's meant to be complicated. And you realize that, you chose that for yourself and made your boundaries clear and set yourself free. I was under the impression that I'd made my bed, now I had to line it with regards to whatever that brought. And for seven years, it was very much, well, you're here now, just get on with it. And and it's quite funny because everyone else around me, my family included, could see that I was absolutely awfully unhappy. But they didn't want to, they didn't want to broach the subject with me because I hadn't said anything. They didn't want to be seen as being interfering. So they were being so lovely but worrying about it from the outset. So when I said I'm leaving, my family were actually amazing. They were like, Oh my god, thank goodness. This is we've been waiting for you to say this forever, but we didn't want to say anything to you. But it was the community and my husband ex-husband's family and all of that lot that were like what are you doing why are you leaving him but for seven years I thought that I had to be there because I had chosen to be there and I'd made my bed but after seven years of of not nice stuff happening I just thought no life is too short no I don't want this I don't want this I don't I haven't wanted this for a long time and now I'm choosing not to and I'm going so yeah that's perfectly a-okay and Yesterday, I met a man, not for the very first time, but he trusted me with a story which broke my heart. He spoke about a woman who stayed in a marriage because she believed that she needed to be punished by God. Wow, okay. Because of not listening to her father. So she... She was miserable, practically, and now she's found herself in a position where she has to leave the country. She's 86 years old. She has to go back to her home country. Okay. And <laughs> she stayed for the wrong reasons, and she made her probably... I don't know how happy she was, because I've never met her, but I can't imagine she was very happy. Mm-hmm. So to me here, what I'm getting from your story and comparing it to the story I heard from this man yesterday, is that happiness starts with me. It doesn't depend on the people I choose to be with. They won't make me happy. But if, if I am not happy for whatever reason, then I need to make it clear for myself and I need to stand up for myself and say, right, this is not working. I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. And you did that. And I'm grateful that you did because I'm convinced 
that when we choose ourselves first, we automatically give others the permission to do the same, which creates a ripple effect, which creates more of what we want to see, love. Absolutely. It's not selfish, it's selfless. Yes. It's just it's almost like we're conditioned that we have to be martyrs to this or we have to suffer for Perfect. it or we have to, but it's not. It's the permission to be yourself is your right. It's, it's your God-given right if you ascribe to that or it's just your right. It's your natural, inherent, most basic right. That's what I think. And on this note, thank you. I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. I've had an absolutely lovely time. Like I say, I love to chat, so this has been great. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can go to my website, butv.com and listen to any any of the other episodes you might have missed. Or you can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes Podcasts. Bye for now!